is in we'll be good to go yeah yes yes Ah, yes, friends, on a Thursday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. We are your hosts over here, Adam Arbrecht, over there, Andrew Makowitz, and all in between is OGP, one giant podcast, breaking it down for you. As always, we come in on a Thursday, as I say, to uh, have a little discussion around some current players on the New York football Giants roster and a bit of a busy offseason. We also are going to take a look at the potential, as we've heard rumors around a lot of QBs could be on the move. How could the Giants potentially be involved in those transactions? And then looking ahead to the draft, Andy. But as always, are you healthy, wealthy, and wise? I'm good. You know, Adam, yesterday uh, uh, had a nice dinner with the wife out in Manhattan. You we went did. for it. Good we for did. you. We did. But I got to say, as as a as a parent, the later the dinner, the more you're like falling asleep at the table. So 8.30 dinner reservation in Manhattan not really conducive to to staying awake or being excited, especially on a, on a Wednesday, right? Like, it's so needless to say, it was it was a little tough. Like, by the time dessert comes, we're both looking at each other like, uh, time to get the bill and like go home and go to sleep. Like, what do what do you think? Is dessert a really smart move when we have a 20, 25 minute drive ahead of us? Let's just play this thing smart here. Um, well, listen, I'm glad that you did because obviously, me, no kids. Really, the schedule is just kind of up to my whimsy, but I can appreciate what you guys are going through, certainly. On the other side of it, I wanted to kick it off. We're going to get into a current giant and some news around him, but trivia to lead you in the door, Andy. Who was tied with the third most touchdown receptions on the New York football giants this past season? Who was tied for third? Who was among them? There's a big group tied for third with touchdown receptions. Who do you have there? I'm going to Andrew Thomas. Kablamo, the young stud who had more touchdown receptions than Kadarius Tony or Kenny Galladay combined. Or in fun fact, I was in the stands in Tampa for that game when he caught his touchdown pass. So that's why I was seared in my brain. That's it, my friend. So as you know, that's always how you want to see your stat lines compile up. But just in case anyone was wondering, it was Evan Ingram with three, two for Barkley, two for Slayton, and then a slew of guys, Andrew Thomas among them, with one. So, so wait, did you did you say Pro Bowl or Evan Ingram or just Evan Ingram? I said like he, 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 he former New York Football Giant Evan Ingram. That's what the, I, the year before he was Pro Bowl or Evan Ingram, and then this year he had another fantastic year, led the team in touchdown receptions. Like, what more could you want from the guy, right? <laughs> it's you know it's a good it's you you know you're in good shape when three when three is the magic number to lead the team. We bring up Andrew Thomas and ignore. Andy trying to bait me on Evan Ingram to talk about the busy offseason for the young left tackle for the New York football giants. There's positives here. Uh, maybe, maybe a mild concern at least for a second, but overall it sounds like it's going to be a good thing. He once again, Andrew Thomas underwent ankle surgery on the same left ankle that gave him trouble over his first two seasons. Supposedly he played through injuries once again uh, this past year. But as we know, there was a very clear distinction between what the Giants were capable of accomplishing when he was on the field versus off the field. And for an offensive line that was as bad as it was, he still proved to be pivotal in what they were able to do. Uh, he gave up just as I took across these numbers here, 
Two sacks over 517 pass blocking snaps, earned an 82.1 pass block grade from PFF, which ranked 12th and overall is 78.9, was 19th in the league. Before we get to an additional accolade handed out by Pro Football Focus, do you have any concern around now Andrew Thomas again tapping back into the same ankle? They say that he should be fine for training camp and all fully recovered, and this should eliminate the issues he's been having with his ankles. Nevertheless, <clears throat> I think the best the best way to have a healthy ankle is not to have needed surgeries over the first two seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's concerning to me. Um, it, it's nice that they say that it was uh, something that he'll be ready for the offseason workouts and everything else, so it's not going to linger. You know, when they say, like, once and for all is the way that they, like, most people around it are saying, it's like, okay, so then, like, week three, he <laughs> has, like, an ankle issue. And this didn't solve it. Then you're like, okay, so what was all that once and for all talk back in, in January? So to me, it's like, okay, we're okay right now. This is the second surgery in the second offseason on the same ankle. And yes, you, you're clearing it up and we should be good to go. But now my mind as a as a pessimistic Giant fan and like worried about things is like, okay, so what if this pops up again next year? And we've already exhausted the once and for all option. Like what's next, right? <laughs> yeah, once and for all. And then obviously, again, if necessary, because otherwise, what's the alternative? Something happens to his ankle. You go, well, we can't. I mean, we already we already once and for all this. So, right. right. It's a one time thing. And then it happens again. Like you can't do the one time thing again. Right, Adam? Also, I don't I don't think so. Like uh, you're one and only. Like you can't triple one. stamp a double stamp, right? You can't. And, and only. Yeah. Um. So, listen, hopefully it does resolve it. And who knows? Maybe the shift in organizational regime and, you know, Joe Shane coming in, maybe they're maybe they're immediately getting in and looking at this stuff and saying, hey, let's try to solve these issues that some of our players are having from an injury standpoint, not put the proverbial Band-Aid on them. The other piece that inside of the PFF is that Andrew Thomas is 80th in PFF's top 101 in the league. I think that that's certainly a lovely little caveat to add into it. We know he performed really well. I said those 517 pass snaps played 800 in total on the offensive side of the ball. So he's come along nicely. Obviously, you think about wanting to pair a player alongside of him at the guard spot, whether it's the returning Shane Lemieux, which could be, you know, a dicey prospect at best, or bringing someone in through the draft. And just a quick footnote here as well. Speaking about getting uh, into the new system and getting to meet his new head coach and Brian Dable, Andrew Thomas did say, I'm looking forward to getting to know him. Obviously, in Buffalo, he helped cultivate one of the most explosive offenses in the league. I'm excited to learn from him and be a part of turning this thing around. Already, just two years into his young career, entering his third um Andrew Thomas is talking about helping turn this thing around. That's always what you want. <laughs> you always want the, the young rookies, the young players, the young core to be the ones responsible for fixing problems. Well, I think the the one thing we should do with Andrew Thomas is also take a step back because both you and I wanted Andrew Thomas with the pick that the Giants drafted him with. We thought he was the best tackle coming out of the draft. And every other team made it seem like we were the laughing stock for taking Andrew Thomas in his rookie season. Like, oh my goodness, all these other players. Jedrick Wills is light years better. Mekhi Becton, light years better. You know, Tristan Wirfs, transformationally better than, than Andrew Thomas. And like, you know, cooler heads prevail. It's not just about the rookie season for a lot of these guys. Andrew Thomas looked awesome last mm -hmm. year. You know, part of it is the fact that they moved Will Hernandez away from him. I'll, I'll stick to that for the rest of my life. But again, this is why we preach patience with some of these young rookie players. Andrew Thomas didn't all of a sudden become a horrible player. He just needed to get his proverbial feet underneath him. And that's as a result of, of the reason why he grades out as a top 20 tackle in the NFL last year.
Yeah, you know, sometimes we I think the league always looks at quarterbacks and says, right, they need time to develop, and then you think about keeping in the same system, et cetera. It goes for any player at any position, right? Having continuity, having consistency, and now reflecting back on Joe Judge's tenure and knowing he fired an offensive line coach, right, brought in his own guy, turned it over multiple times around that front, right, wrong, and different. At the time, we thought maybe it was a good move to try to get some consistency for Andrew Thomas, but that's what you want consistency not only in the way you're being coached and what's being asked of you but also with the players alongside of you and the play that they produce and that's why obviously as we know the offensive line is so key for the new york football giants this offseason one one side note just to note you know how i mentioned all of those other tackles that were taken um mm-hmm. andrew thomas had a better pro football focus rating than both jedrick wills and mckay beckton who was injured for you know almost the entire season and was only a couple points behind tristan Wirfs, who everyone thinks is going to be like a, a perennial pro bowler in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, all, all those people that were making fun of the Andrew Thomas pick, like you may want to take a step back because he really looks like if he's not going to be at least a pro bowler, he looks like he's going to be a very competent tackle in this league. And that's really like the floor that the Giants need in terms of someone protecting Daniel Jones or whatever quarterback we move forward with. Instant reaction, instant analysis is sometimes dangerous, right? You give a little bit of time here and then see how you feel about a player after a couple of seasons. Speaking of QB play, and as you mentioned, Daniel Jones or otherwise, Giants could be potentially players in the QB sweepstakes this offseason. We talked about it before. Will they make room? We're going to get into it from a, a purely Giants perspective about getting involved and bringing someone into Big Blue or, interestingly enough, as Daniel Jeremiah suggested over on Twitter, The Jets and the Giants could be pivotal players in the trade market. If you want to trade for a veteran QB, whether it's Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers, they could be the middleman and supply picks for proven players. So the example being the Jets or the Giants send picks to Team X. That team provides proven commodities, experienced players that have a track record. And then in return, they take those picks and package it up to go get one of these quarterbacks. This is sort of like an NBA kind of model where you have a big star and and a large contract that needs to get moved and you just need to dump some things other places. Would you be in favor of, of if the giants could this off season, when we look at the, the picks that they have in the upcoming draft of saying, Hey, we have multiples in some of these middle rounds here. If we can see whether it's you know going to be Miami or it's going to be Denver, right? Any of these teams in the market for a quarterback, the Saints potentially, if we can go ahead and grab a couple of proven commodities to put into this roster, it's well worth the expense of a draft pick for, as we know, young, exciting, but also unproven talent that you could get later in April. So I am completely out on this idea. Like, uh, I, I surprisingly, like everyone's like, yeah, just do whatever that makes the team better. It's like, okay, sure. Like in, in a philosophical way, if we can make our team better, sure. Explore every single option, but the giants aren't one veteran or one piece away, or, you know, a, a point where you want to accumulate like ready talent right now, because the giants aren't ready to compete for a super bowl next season. Mm-hmm. I want cost controlled young talent that we can have this new coaching staff develop. Like, you know, one of the names I was tossed around was Jerry Judy, the wide receiver. Great wide receiver. Awesome wide receiver. Also halfway past his rookie deal and already starting to get into the idea of like, 
after next season, would you have to extend him? Are you going to pay another wide receiver $18 million? Like we're not on that level to, to like need one Jerry Judy away from like competing for the NFC East level, never won the Super Bowl, Right. Yeah. I see. I tend to agree with you because uh, to your, to exactly your point, right? Well, am I just bringing in something that's going to cost me more money in the short term? Like that could obviously make things very tricky. It, it, it would depend, right? Am I giving you up to your point? Do you need, one of the first round picks in order to facilitate this trade, right? And then what am I getting back in return for that? Now, if you tell me that one pick in the first round acquires me three players from a couple of different teams, however it may shake itself out, and they can plug in a key spots and they all have two to three years beyond this season remaining on their contracts, then maybe it's viable. Like so that you could paint a picture where I go, oh, that's very attractive. But when you bring up someone like Jerry Judy, I think the only way that you would want to do that or that I, I would say, hey, I'm interested is if you go now, where am I dumping Kenny Galladay's money? If you can <laughs> yeah, tell, take Kenny Galladay back here, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, well, like when when they when they open up the envelope and they look for the pick to come out that they want to send for the QB, and then just Kenny Galladay climbs out of the package from UPS, right? You go, no, this is the guy that you. This this is what we give you back in return. Like, and 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 this is where it's hard to to go too deep on this. It it, it is an interesting, I think, mental exercise to say, oh. Could the Giants be a part on a, as a fringe player to a big QB that could be moving in the market in the offseason? But it's difficult because there's so many mechanisms to it. Well, what, what's the contract state of players that you're going to be bringing in? Do you Are you going to need to extend them? Obviously, the Giants could only look to bring back players that they believe are going to be a, a member of the New York football Giants on another contract to value giving up that asset. And then even other moving other parts off of the Giants, it's hard to do that depending on the dates, the timing, the, the contract guarantees, and money you'd be on the books for. So... In keeping with the Denver Broncos, we talked about Jerry Judy, maybe not on the right timeline, maybe not the right position. But mm. if we stick with the Denver Broncos and we say something like, hey, we could give up a second round pick, that early second round pick, so that the Broncos could package it up and do whatever they want. And they're going to give us their Pro Bowl left tackle, Garrett Bowles. Like, I'm interested in that. Like, that sounds good. If you really want Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson and you need that second round pick and you're going to give us a Pro Bowl left tackle who's making $13 million a year. That's enticing because then the Giants could, you know, have Andrew Thomas, Garrett Bowles, and potentially two first-round picks, and like we'd have to clear up some of the cap space. But that is a dire area of need for the Giants, and it would actually allow us to do a little bit more with those first two picks in the draft, you know, with, with five and seven. So for me, it's it's all dependent on like what we're getting back. And if if you're telling me we could get a really good offensive lineman, I you have to consider it at that point. Yeah, and that that that's where I think it'd be worth it. If if the draft asset that I'm going to bring in, and we're going to talk about uh, some tackles here for, in the draft class in a moment, but that's what you have to consider is, can I improve at a position that I know is going to be a part of the long term? And, you know, you, you mentioned Jerry Judy. It's like positional value. I, I don't know if I want to bring in someone who's midway through his rookie deal and going to need to be extended, right? We're we're already concerned about what we have in Kenny Galladay. We're already, there's been speculation, by the way, we won't get into it in this episode too much, but like the Kadarius Tony could be someone that the Giants will be willing to listen to offers on because he's a first round wide receiver, an excellent talent, and also not a part of this regime. And what could you utilize X asset for? Or maybe it's for players, right? So it, you're always shuffling the chairs here and it just seems like skill positions. That's a tricky one for me where the giants are right now to invest in. We talk about offensive and defensive fronts. That's something that I could wrap my head around. And if you're the Denver Broncos, you're not giving up your pro bowl tackle, right? You're not giving up one of your stud offensive linemen as you bring in a quarterback because you think you're in a position to compete right now. So but at the very least, 
I do wish that the NFL was more like this. I wish that there were more moves that happened at the trade deadline. I wish that there were more packaging and multiples. I wish that player exchanges and swaps happen more often. Like the NBA is a uh, Doug and I talk about on over on the locked on Nets podcast. It's like they have figured out how to capitalize on the trade deadline in their league. Like they owned the entire week leading up to the Rams Bengals right in the championship game. It was all about what was happening at the NBA and who was going to go where and all those moving parts. Unfortunately, the NFL isn't constructed that way to afford those opportunities for teams. No, it's, it's tough. I think it's, it's the way the salary cap works with like the hard cap in the NFL. It doesn't allow teams to like truly go for it if they want to. And teams value first and second round picks so much because they're such like in the NBA, like the 25th pick in the first round, it's really tough. Like there's a fall off after like the top five or seven players. Like you'd really have to find a diamond in the rough with the 25th pick in the end. (laughs) Well, with the 25th pick in the NFL draft, you know, people are, are, you know, hoping that that guy's going to be like generational build around him. Whereas you're kind of throwing a dart at the dartboard in the NBA. So tough, tough for the giants um, to really be a facilitator in this. I like the idea if it makes us better, but I'm kind of out in, in the structure and in the way Daniel Jeremiah was, was saying it. Just a brief pause here. I, I said, like Cam Thomas diamond in the rough. He, he just daggered the New York Knicks last night, came back from 28 points down. I just wanted to make sure that you heard um, what was said there in case you or anybody you happen to know is a Knicks fan or just whatever. Is it the basketball? I, I want to make sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure all Nets fans felt very confident at halftime that that, uh, that m- ragged misfit group of toys was going to come back and, and win, the, win the game. But here we are. We spring eternal. Hope springs eternal. And, and by the way, I'm sure Knicks fans were not at all concerned that they would blow a lead, something that they've done a lot lately. We won't belabor it. The, the other, Knicks feel like the Giants right now, don't they? It's like, like they're finally point. winning, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is maddening. How do you give up a 30-point lead when they don't even have their stars? But yes, this is a Giants podcast, not a basketball one. I will just, uh, Doug did use a football reference when he went. The Nets are only down a touchdown, two-point conversion, touchdown, two-point conversion, touchdown, two-point conversion away from being right back in this game. So and it, it all worked out on that end. Um, over, though, on the football side, as we'll close out with uh, Todd McShay, we know he and obviously Mel Kuyper, they love to get into their mock drafts and talk about where all these teams are going to go. This isn't so much about the players, but we'll mention who he has them taking at five and seven. It's a philosophical question that I want to ask you. So in the draft, he has Thibodeau falling to the Giants at five. We've heard a lot about him. Uh, The question marks are whether or not he has the high motor and can play with consistency at a high level on a down-to-down basis. But he's looked at as being someone that would compliment Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari and give Wink Martindale one of those guys with speed to get after the quarterback. He goes at five because the other two tackles in Aquonu and Neal are gone off the board. But then at seven, he ends up having the Giants take Cross, the tackle out of Mississippi State. And it's interesting because inside of his analysis, which I think is concerning, he says, I'm not totally sure Cross is a top 10 pick, but he handles speed rushers well and plays with patience. And I see good enough angles on tape in the run game. He's the next best tackle on the board, and after landing Thibodeau at number five, New York can afford to reach here a little. So my, my, my question to you is, one, would you would you sit there at five, and if it was Thibodeau, would you be excited that he fell to you and want to take him? That's just the initial, based on what we're hearing from him early stages. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I'm, I'm at, like, 
you know, everyone was upset about Mika Parsons. He's kind of a me guy, whatever. And we trade back and we got the first round draft pick for this year. So that was great. But like Mika Parsons wins, you know, defensive rookie of the year is top five in defensive player of the year. And he looks like he's going to be an unbelievable defensive player for, for a decade to come. He had his own question marks coming out of school. Very feels very similar to, to Thibodeau in terms of like, oh, is his motor? What's his motivation? All this different stuff. If you watch the film, he's an absolute freak at getting to the quarterback. And like, it's insane. The plays that he does play, they're like, he takes plays off. It's like, yeah, well, in the NFL, he's probably going to be a little bit situationally rotating in, getting pressure here and there. And then he's going to be on the sideline, maybe if you know it's a run play or something else, right? Like, it's fine. And I think with Wink Martindale's system of just pressure as much as humanly possible, I want guys that have that like intangible speed that can get to the quarterback and wreak havoc. Yeah, uh, so I like it, and I'd be fine. I'd be fine with it. Here's the interesting thing, though, because my second question is: when you hear that crosses maybe a top ten pick, this is this is where the real question comes. Philosophically, you have the fifth and the seventh overall pick. If you're sitting there and either you know it, it, it's not all apples to apples, doesn't mean you can make a move just because you want to. But one, do you say? Well, I want to make sure I get a tackle here. I need to go get one of these guys. I'll do what it takes to move up a couple of spots here if the opportunity presents itself and make sure I get one of them. Or do you sit there and say, yes, I'll take Thibodeau at five, but now I have to be willing to trade out of seven. And at that point, the secondary thing is, well, then, you know, is that good enough to not take an offensive lineman at the top end of this draft and back yourself up and need to look at a Kenyon Green or start to look into the second round to help fix this offensive line. Obviously, the precursor is what goes on in the offseason, but do you think that the Giants could afford to do that when it comes to the draft? And do you think that maybe they, if they want to have that luxury, then this offseason and getting somebody, moving the money and getting someone else plugged in on this line is crucial to give yourself quote unquote, a little bit of flexibility about what you do at the top of the draft. So I've been screaming about having to take an offensive lineman in the first round. It would be malpractice if the Giants don't. Now, the situation that you're describing is interesting. And if I were Joe Shane and I were thinking about how to do this, Thibodeau feels like the the type of pass rusher that will solidify this defense. He feels like an upper echelon type of player. He's enough for me to go say, Let's not address offensive tackle at five because he will help out the defense. We still need that. That, that edge rush is a position in need for the Giants. Mm-hmm. At seven, I would 100% at that point, if Neil and Kwanu are, are gone, I would absolutely look at trading back. I would look at trading back. I would not take cross at seven because of two things. One is, I mean, if you can still trade back to 11, 12, or 13 for a quarterback needy team and you pick up more assets, there's a chance that Cross could still be there at 12 and you've accumulated more assets. And if he's gone before that, then so be it. At least we didn't reach for a guy and, yeah. and we're going for the best player available. The second piece of it, Adam, is if he's gone, I don't know. Is there other areas on the offensive line that maybe the Giants need to address? Is Tyler Linderbaum there, the generational center at 12, 13, 14, 15, and mm-hmm. the Giants get him instead of reaching for an offensive tackle at seven? I would be thrilled if the Giants get Thibodeau at five, they trade back to 14, they pick up an additional first round picker and, and, and then some, and also get a generational center in Linderbaum to be able to help solidify the line because it's not just offensive tackle and it's not just edge rusher we need. 
No, listen, I, I, I do. We, you and I, are, you know, we tend to uh, disagree on some different areas. Sometimes we sometimes get to consensus. Sometimes um, entrench ourselves on on opposite sides. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like I just think that there's there's too many players in this draft not at the tackle position after those top two prospects there in the in the first round that you go. There's opportunities here for us to improve our team in other ways. And to your point, if it means getting an extra asset along the way, of course you have to be willing to do that. And by the way, I don't even know if you, if if you told me that nobody was willing to trade back with you, there's a world where I say, then I might still take Linderbaum at seven overtaking cross because what Linderbaum is by all accounts, a generational center, plug him in, going to be a stud for you. Like I know that the positional value is not equal to a tackle, but I, I know what this prospect can be for me. Right. And we know the concerns that the giants have had there. So I, taking cross specifically or taking a tackle at seven and not being willing to move down or trying to figure out other options that would be on the board for you. And I'm not saying McShay wouldn't have the giants explore those, but you have to be willing to do that. If you look at these players and say, well, this guy is really a top 18 player in cross or, or, you know, even Linderbaum, right? Was he, he's a top 12. Okay. There's always a sliding scale of how far back are we willing to select based on where our future picks are and the needs that we have on the roster. Yeah, and and think of it this way also, Adam. Obviously, free agency comes a little bit before the draft, so you yep. know which areas you've been able to plug holes in. The Giants don't know what they have at center right now with Nick Gates. Like, everybody loves him, but he had, like, a career-threatening injury, yeah. and you see pictures of him trying to rehab and get back to work, and Giant fans love that. But center is definitely an area of need for the Giants. And, and so in free agency, you hope that Joe Shane looks at it and says, okay, Maybe we don't necessarily have a guy at center or offensive tackle that's going to be with us for 20 years, but he fills a hole or a gap that we have now. And, you know, we've, we've had different swing tackles like Cam Fleming that haven't worked out, but maybe we go the middle of the road route just to keep things consistent and either pick up a center or pick up a tackle that helps us in the short term while not like mortgaging the future, thinking we have to draft an offensive tackle with the seventh pick, even though we don't like him that much in the long term. Yeah, so I think the Giants have to prepare themselves to not have a lack of flexibility, right? So it means bringing in reasonable talent in free agency, moving this money around and saying, okay, we got ourselves a guard. Maybe we got ourselves a serviceable tackle that could easily be replaced by someone in the draft, but know that you've improved the offensive line. Not like the Giants did in the last couple of years. Not like Dave Gettleman really improve the talent across the offensive line so that you have that flexibility in front of you. And, and listen, I'll, I'll even go as far as to say, remember, the cornerback class is incredibly deep this draft. There's a lot of players near the top in that regard. If James Bradbury is not a part of what the Giants are doing going forward, you have players obviously like uh, Stingley, who's probably not going to be there around around seven by all accounts, but McDuffie out of Washington is going to be an option there. And there's a couple other, uh, even out of third of the down, Gordon, I don't think is going to rise to that level. He's later in the first round, but you're going to, other positional options are going to be available. And that's how the Giants have to approach free agency, eliminate as many, you know, desperate needs. Cause right now you'd say the Giants have eh, 12 desperate needs. You'd like to get down to six or seven desperate needs going into the draft so that you don't have to feel like you're committed to doing something like Michelle saying, reaching on a tackle that may or may not develop. Now, in the last caveat, before we get out the door here, is I'll say, if if McShay's assessment and general evaluators on cross are saying, I don't know if he's a top 10 talent right now, but not unlike Andrew Thomas in the way he was you know, criticized coming out of the draft. If you think that this kid can play and develop into it, it's all right to, to make a choice around someone that you believe in a year is going to be where you want him to be. But you have to be calculated in that, looking at the other prospects in the later rounds and how you can build a roster out. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The simple answer for me is if if you have Linderbaum available and you really think he's generational, yeah. then you can sort out the offensive tackle, maybe a, a plug and play guy, short term guy, you know, swing type of tackle, and and maybe you draft a couple in the later rounds. Vice versa, if you believe in Charles Cross, then you have to go in free agency and probably get a center at some point anyway. Yeah. But to your point, we we can't be sitting there at seven saying. If this guy isn't here, we are in deep, deep trouble. There has to be a bigger plan. And I think we're describing it trading back, looking at best player available. There's going to be some flexibility in terms of being able to get someone like a cornerback or something else, depending on where we we free up cap space. The one thing I will say, Adam, is please, can we can we stop the let's draft a safety with the fifth or the seventh pick in, in the draft? Like, can we can, can we both agree that that is just like one thing that we can eliminate right now? For, for, for OGP at the end of the day? Safety is not an option at the top of the draft. I'm going to tell you right now, there's too many other needs, no matter how talented the players may be. There are other pressing areas on this roster, no matter what you do ahead of the draft and free agency that I'm still going to put out ahead of them. Who knew friends that Andy and I remember once upon a time in a draft speculation years past, Andy's finally come up to drafting a center in early rounds of the NFL draft. Things that the <sighs> have changed. Andy, you've evolved. My friend, you've evolved. You can, of course, Check us out over on YouTube where we're dropping the videos every single day. Get the podcast where you have those needs fulfilled. Follow us on social media, One Giant Podcast. And as Andy Mackowitz would want, need a name. Demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.